0: Thank you for joining us for Growing You, part of LeGrave CRC's adult education program. In this session, we are joined by Dr. Amanda Bankhausen, the CRCNA Director of Safe Church Ministry. Dr. Bankhausen is also a former seminary professor. In this session, she discusses with us what it is to be a safer church for those who have experienced abuse. And now forming a goodness culture that resists abuse.
1: All right, well, thank you for having me. Um, I've been here a number of times, so I always, I I really enjoy coming here and being with you all. And um, I see I've moved out of the camera view already. (laughs) Oh, I'm so sorry. I'm actually a little bit of a walker, so. Anyway, it's a delight to be with you all, and I know I've been here a couple times before, and I've always enjoyed my time with all of you, so thank you for having me back. Um, here uh, today, I'm here to talk about Safe Church Ministry, which um, in the past I've talked about things Old Testament, um, but have recently switched positions. So about a year ago, I started as the director of Safe Church at the Denomination, and I um, I was glad to receive the invitation from your Live Safe team um, to come and share uh, just a little bit more about what it means to be a safe or a safer church. And I'm actually gonna put you to work this morning. I hope you don't mind. Uh, But what I'd like to do is spend some time together thinking about someone who is maybe not in the church but wants to come into your church, and what it would look like for them um, to uh, explore La Grave in terms of uh, issues of safety from abuse, particularly. Um, someone who perhaps is has some children um, that they would like in youth programs or in children's programs, someone who themselves has experienced some abuse in their past, what would it look like for them to come into the grave? And what would they experience here in terms of being a safe place for them to worship and grow in faith, um, free from abuse? So to do that, I'm gonna invite us to look at a case study all right, so I wrote the case study out for you. You may want to refer to it as uh, I read it or as we go into the time of reflection or discussion questions. Um, but you can just listen if you want. I'll, I'll read through it right now. I want you to imagine Jada. So meet Jada and her kids. Okay? Jada is a well-educated middle-class woman who is smart and accomplished. She's the CFO for a local business venture that has expanded across the state. She's also a single mother of two children, ages 9 and 15. Jada left her husband three years ago after years of emotional abuse that finally escalated and erupted in a number of physical altercations. It took a long time for Jada to get up the courage to leave. She kept telling herself that things would get better, that this wasn't abuse, that her husband really did love her, that this is what marriage was like, that you get mad at each other once in a while. Now it's been three years since the incident that landed her in the hospital with a broken jaw and bruises up and down her body. And she is terribly lonely and struggling with feelings of shame and hurt and embarrassment. She has trouble trusting people and letting them into her life. She is especially anxious about relationships, even friendships with men and especially friendships with men. And because her husband was a police officer, she has a profound distrust in institutions, particularly those that profess to stand up for what is good and what is right. Now, Jada knows that she is not alone, that she is joined by one in four women and one in six men who have experienced some form of physical or sexual abuse in their lifetime. And if we were to add the statistics about emotional abuse, the numbers would actually rise significantly. And I've got some more numbers up on the screen. Jada wants to find a church home for her and her kids. But the church at large doesn't have a very good reputation these days, Um, at least not for being a safe place. Um, She's heard about the abuse by ministry leaders in Willow Creek, in Baptist churches, at Mars Hill, in Hillsong in Australia, and the list goes on. It seems not a week goes by when there isn't a new story of abuse allegations related to the church or Christian ministries. So she is nervous, even anxious. She knows that she is fragile and needs a place where she can heal and not experience more pain. Now, to add to the layers of complexity, one last thing Mm -hmm. that you will have noticed about Jada. Um, She and her kids are biracial, which has meant they haven't really felt at home in many communities. La grave is close to where she lives, and they have good kids and youth programs. And she likes the richness of the traditional worship at La grave, and she really wants this to work. So I want us to reflect for a moment on the two questions that are on the screen. What would it take for Jada and her kids to feel safe at La grave? given everything I have just uh, said to you about Jada and her kids, what would it um, take for her to find the grave as a place where she can worship and grow in faith freely without a sense of fear or anxiety about being hurt again, about um, being abused here? What would it take... Um, and this is the second question. What would it take to support Jada in her journey towards healing? Um, in what ways could she find at LeGrave the opportunity to invest herself in things that might encourage her own healing journey from abuse? So those are the two questions that I'd like for us to consider this morning. And I actually want us to Um, split into small, are we allowed to do that with COVID? Yes. Yes? Yes. Okay, so split into smaller groups, and I want you to talk about these two questions and take them one at a time because uh, it's very easy to kind of blur them, but if you would start with the first question and then move on to the second question. Actually, let's do this different. Let's start with the first question and then we'll regroup for the second. So focus on the first question. Um, so split into groups of maybe uh, four or five. Just grab a few people around you and talk um, about how Jada might experience the grave in terms of safety. So I want to hear what what kinds of things you talked about in your small groups in terms of uh, what would it take for Jada to feel safe and her kids to feel safe at the grave. And it could be things that you're doing. It could be things that you think you probably should be doing are, and are not doing. It could be things that you are now thinking, yeah, we maybe need to do that. So uh, sh- let's, let's do some group think here, group brainstorming. And I'd like to hear some of the responses. And let's start over here. Group one, <laughs> now dubbed. Build <laughs> no
0: relationships.
1: Okay. Build relationships. You want to say more? Why is that important?
0: If she's going to have uh, feel that this is a place that uh, can be safe and comfortable, then that ultimately needs to be down on a, a personal level, yep. she needs to have people that she feels safe and comfortable with.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. So. Uh, Building, I mean, one of the things that was named in the case study is she's lonely, she's looking for relationships, she needs people who can be her support system, right? And um, you can't do that if you don't build a relationship with her. Good, other things? Right. Yep, so venues by which she can easily meet people, right, and get connected. So, yeah. All right, other things? Okay, good. So your pastors are—I'm gonna, for lack of a better term, just—I'm gonna say they're trained. They're trained, and they're—they um, know that the the resources that are available to support and help someone like Jada, right? Um, this, uh, yeah. Go ahead. <laughs> that is important. <laughs> okay. Um, OK. Um, in leadership. Good. Anything else? What else came out of your groups? What would Jada be looking for? Yeah.
2: I think Joy had a very good idea. <laughs> You're oh, Oh yeah. Okay, so he uh, took it upon himself, I think, to form a group, and there were many of us that got together on Sundays, and we all had the same issue going on in our lives, which was very, very helpful. Yeah. Uh, we have a team, which is great. We, I think, also have to have offer some kind of a group where people. Right. A lot of emotional
1: abuse. Absolutely. And people aren't going to talk about that and say, hey, you know,
2: someone in my family or whatever is very abusive, emotionally, to me or to my children, we might say things to our children that we don't think are abusive, but emotionally can really destroy them. Yeah.
1: Yeah, so one of the things, uh, I hear support group coming out, but one of the things that might be helpful is just even having um, teaching on what is abuse. Well, we to hear, it? Yeah. Yes. A, a support group of some kind, yeah, like college, people that... <laughs> for people that. Yeah, so one of, uh, the, uh, uh, one of the ways to answer the second question, what would it take to support Jada in her journey towards healing, would be to form some kind of a support group. It could be a trauma-informed or a trauma, trauma uh, support group, right? And um, that would be enough to gather people who have experienced abuse because trauma is usually the sort of outcome of abuse impact. Yeah. Yeah, so another suggestion would be um, to have, make available a list of resources that you put um, somewhere in the church, perhaps in the women's washroom um, for uh, uh, support groups. In fact, I know of one ministry in Granville. Uh, It's called Selah Empowers. And they run online classes for women who have experienced abuse of any kind. So um, just to, to help them uh, educate themselves on what is abuse, and then to discern what the next steps are for them. It's, uh, so things like that, providing the resources or the education so that women can make women like Jada, and it's not always women who are abused, so I want to own that, um, make good choices. Now this is all the relational side. What are some other things that Jada might be looking for? Because uh, this is, these are things all related to establishing trust um, with Jada. But um, what might Jada be looking for herself, just in terms of real, tangible, concrete things, as she goes to a church? We have, we mentioned in our group uh, a parking lot security. Okay. Okay. Right. So you have procedures in place that are designed to communicate. We care about your safety. Right. Um, And my guess is the check in procedures related to children's ministries are embedded in a safe church policy that the church has. Right. Uh, I actually went to LaGrave's website this morning before I came here, and I could not find the Safe Church policy on the website. And I... (laughs) You have to dig. But if, if someone has been that hurt, right, and is, is anxious about joining a new community, they need to know that the community they're joining gets that not all churches are safe and gets that abuse is a reality, right? And one way to do that is to put on your front page a link to your uh, safeguarding or safe uh, church policy um, just so that, because that communicates, we get it and we care. Right? In the same way that parking lot attendants and check-ins and nurseries communicate that same thing. Um, What are some other things that might communicate that to Jada? Yeah? Warm and welcoming people. warm and welcoming people. One of the challenges uh, with abuse is that uh, it used to be uh, believed that abuse was done by strangers. Right. So we taught our kids stranger danger, like be aware of strangers. Uh, increasingly, we're realizing, in fact, that 90% of, of those who experience abuse experience abuse at the hands of someone they know, 90%. So this building of trust is great, but if, it's, if it also isn't matched by measures of accountability, then it becomes very um, a place of anxiety, actually. And one of the things about churches is that they tend to be places of great trust. They tend to be places with low accountability, right? We've got lots of trust, but not a lot of accountability, right? Um, And when that happens, that actually creates a situation that is ripe for abuse. Um, Jada presumably trusted. Her husband, right? The guy she was dating and loved and married, she trusted him. And then he became someone who hurt her and harmed her, right? Um, the people who went to Willow Creek trusted Bill Hybels. The people who went to Mars Hill trusted Mark Driscoll. Uh, uh, the, the people who, who went to some of these other institutions trusted the leaders. And that trust was misplaced because there was no accountability Right? So one of the things that would be important for Jada to know is not just that there's a safe church policy, but that there's perhaps a code of conduct for ministry leaders and volunteers, right? Uh, that they are held to a standard of behavior that, that um, would help her feel safe, right? Um, the CRC actually has just recently approved a code of conduct for ministry leaders and this at this coming synod the hope is that it will be approved uh, as something that all ministry leaders will sign Um, and uh, similar to the covenant for office bearers they'll sign this code of conduct which begins with this beautiful statement about uh, the way that jesus Uh, conducted his own ministry, uh, the humility with which Jesus conducted his ministry. So it starts out with a statement rooted in Philippians 2, right, that Jesus did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but um, lowered himself to become a servant, right, in order to serve God's mission to call our ministry leaders and volunteers to the same. And there are things in this code of conduct that include, um, and I'll just read this statement, because I think this, this would actually be helpful for someone who has experienced emotional abuse. I will actively promote a safe environment where all persons are respected and valued, where any form of abuse, bullying, or harassment is neither tolerated nor allowed to take place. Um, I will report known or suspected cases of sexual, physical, and emotional abuse or neglect of minors to the proper government authorities. I will support adults who disclose physical, sexual, or emotional abuse in a way that appropriately empowers the person who has been victimized. So to have your volunteers trained in this and then commit themselves to that, um, that could be powerful, right? A powerful way to create awareness about abuse, but also a powerful way for someone to feel safe in your community. I'm gonna put code of conduct. Code of conduct, and then I would say um, training. Training of your volunteers in the code of conduct and in your safe church policy, so that they are aware of of, of the need to be attentive to this, right? I think some, in some churches there's a, uh, a willingness to kind of push these things to the side, to say that's not us, we're a great church, we're a great community. Um, and then the accountability goes down, right? The accountability of ministry leaders and volunteers goes down. And that's when you create a situation that's ripe for abuse. So those are just some ideas to think about as you think about welcoming someone like Jada and her kids and helping them feel safe at LaGrave. I'm mindful that our time is quickly coming to an end. So um, one other thing that's uh, important, and I I was really encouraged um, by the idea that you're going to have a book study on a church called Tove. And this is where you all come in, whether you're ministry leaders or volunteers in some capacity or not. Um, so Scott McKnight and Laura Barringer wrote this book, a church called Tov, and Tov is the Hebrew word for good. Um, if you think of Genesis one, right? It was good. It was good. It was good. It was good. It was very good. It was Tov. It was Tov. It was Tov. It was Tov. It was Tov Maod, right? Like it was. Uh, all that God created was good, right? And uh, what Scott and Laura reflect on is their experience at Willow Creek and they note that it wasn't just Bill Hybels who was a bad apple, but it was a culture at Willow Creek that created a situation where he was not held accountable and the leaders were not held accountable. Um, That there was a culture that contributed to the opportunity for um, the kind of bullying and abuse and sexual misconduct that we learned about um, a couple of years ago coming out of Willow Creek. So they reflect on what was it about the culture of the church that allowed for that to happen? And they cover that in the first four chapters. But here's the thing I love about this book. They get through the hard stuff, and it's hard right? Like you'll read it and you'll be like, oh, you'll feel gutted. <laughs> but then you get to chapter five and the rest of the book, it's probably two-thirds of the book, they cast a vision for what a church characterized by Tove would look like. What are the characteristics of a church that reflect that goodness with which God imbued creation? Like, what would that look like? And don't we all want to be churches that are good like that? Like, don't we all want to be churches that are characterized by Tove? Isn't that uh, an, a part of how we could bear witness to the gospel um, by having churches that are safe and beautiful and where people can flourish and that are characterized by empathy and servanthood and, um, and he lists all kinds of characteristics in here of a, of a church like that. Um, a church that isn't where those characteristics are not just part of the leadership, but part of the congregation as a whole. And um, he, he really invites, uh, Laura and Scott, I should say, both of them together, really invite us as congregations to consider how we can participate in making and um, forming churches that are characterized by Tove. It really is an exceptional vision, um, one that at least at Safe Church, we're very excited about. And they're coming out actually with a second book that sort of builds on this, like the, how do you do this? Especially if you are part of a church culture that is toxic. How do you move a church culture from toxicity to goodness? And I've read the manuscript, it's very good. So um, more to come. But I guess what I want to point out uh, is that this conversation about what we ought to be as congregations, um, how we should treat each other, how we should behave toward each other, that is a a conversation that probably over the last five years has taken off um, because of the realization that we haven't done everything that we can and should to keep people safe. So anyway, I just want to commend the Live Safe, uh, Live Safe Story uh, team for choosing this book, and I would encourage you all to uh, join that book study. Great, yeah. So um, it's like time goes so fast in this room. I so. <laughs> I always run out of time, but I'm just wondering, do you have any questions uh, about any of the stuff that we talked about or any questions for me as Director of Safe Church? Um, I'd be happy to field them in these last few moments. No burning questions? (laughs) All right, well, um, it's been great to have this opportunity to share with you and even to learn with you. and the importance of relationships. And again, uh, relationships are important. Uh, trust building is important, but holding it, the, the accountability piece has to be there too, right? And I think that is what, that formula is what um, would communicate Safe Church, or Safer Church. Yeah. The back side of it. Yes, good point. So the back side, which I don't have a copy of, but let me see if I put it on a slide. Okay, so on the top there you see the recommended resources. A church called Tove. Um, I've linked there the code for conduct of conduct for ministry leaders. You can take a look at it yourself. Um, it's on the denominational website under Synod Resources. Uh, we uh, are hosting a workshop. If you go to Inspire 2022 on trauma informed. Oh, no, sorry. On active bystander training, like, what do you do when you see someone being um, bullied or abused in your in in your uh, in one of your events or in your um, in your congregation? What do you see? What do you do when that happens? And how do you intervene in ways that are productive and restorative? Right. So the active bystander training at Inspire 2022, and then. We have a webinar that we did last August on trauma-informed ministry, and it is outstanding. Um, We talked to a couple in ministry who have been engaged in trauma-informed ministry. Their whole ministry, their whole church, is how do we conduct ourselves in a way that assumes, assumes that the people that we're going to interact with are trauma, uh, have experienced trauma in their life. So instead of saying, what happened to you? No, instead of saying, how are you? Uh, Boy, I'm gonna get this wrong. Instead of saying, why are you like that? You know, like if someone is acting out, you say, what happened to you, right? So it's an acknowledgement that people have experienced significant amounts of trauma, and um, how can we meet them where they're at, right? But anyway, it's an outstanding webinar. It's one hour long. I would just strongly encourage you to watch it um, because it, again, invites all of us into that posture of how do we be people who are warm, welcoming, and safe. This is something uh, the webinar that we can
2: log into.
1: uh, Yeah, it's a YouTube video. So... Yeah, so I think the link there is actually a network article, and it will take you to the webinar. You could just watch it. No login necessary. We try to make it easy.
0: (laughs) Thank you for joining us for Growing You. Join us next week as we hear from Steve Mulder, the Regional Director for the Climate Witness Protection of the Christian Reformed Church. He will focus on the impact of the climate crisis on subsistence farmers in Kenya and Uganda. We hope to see you next week.